Okay. Hi, uh, hi everyone. So it's Tanya. I'm back again with another episode of Classroom to Copy, and I have a very special guest with me today, and I'm very excited for you guys to meet her because I think she has a really interesting story to tell about her experience from uh, transitioning from teaching to copywriting. And her name is Charlotte Ellis. Would you like to introduce yourself and you know what it is that you do now to the audience? Sure. Um, yeah, so I'm Charlotte. I My background's in teaching. I was a teacher for almost a decade. And then um, around this time last year, so like it was about April um, 2022, I started thinking about um, an exit plan from teaching and kind of um, fell into copywriting, started building up my business little bit by little. And um, yeah, in November, I was able to leave teaching and focus on my copywriting business full time. Um, so now I mostly work with um, entrepreneurs that are trying to stand out from their competition, um, especially in really competitive niches um, where their face, their name is their brand. So helping them find um, what makes them unique so they can build their own business. Cool. Do you want to share like where you're based? Yes, yeah, so I'm American, but I'm based in New Zealand. Um, how did that come to be? So, I mean, your your teaching job. I, I'm getting ahead, but I know you were like uh, your first. Was, I I stopped you on LinkedIn first. You're school director, <laughs> English school director in Cambodia, and then team leader, and like a preschool teacher in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So um, I studied child and family development at university in the U.S. And then afterwards, I know I knew that I wanted to move overseas and do like charity work. So um, my husband and I moved over to well, we lived in a couple of different places in Europe and then we settled in Cambodia. And um, yeah, by the time I was 23, I was running an English school, which is for um, high schoolers and university students um, who wanted to get into the tourism industry. So they um, it was really great that they could learn from native English speakers. So my job was to not only teach in the school, but I trained teams of volunteers that would come over and teach. Um, and then I also like developed a curriculum for the school and everything. Um, and then I lived in Thailand for a little bit and did nonprofit work there. And then after I had my first daughter, um, my family decided to move somewhere that was um, a little bit more familiar to us. It felt a little bit more like home. So my husband's a Kiwi and we ended up moving to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And that's where I um, I trained to be a teacher here. So I wasn't um trained as a teacher originally, but I trained as a teacher here and was a preschool teacher and team leader for six years. So would you say like New Zealand is your your home base now? Yeah, yeah. I haven't lived in the U.S. since 2011, so I don't know exactly (laughs) where home is, but um, probably here. (laughs) Oh, gosh, that's I don't know that you lived in Europe also and then uh, in Thailand because when I when I left Singapore, that was my plan to like globe trot, you know, with my boyfriend. <laughs> we just we we moved to um to BC, Georgia, uh, in Eastern Europe, because uh, at the time it was the easiest for us to to meet because he's from America, and then um 
like in terms of visa stuff, it was easiest to mm. meet up in uh, in Georgia amidst like all the COVID regulations and things like that. Like mm. they just didn't care. Yeah. Um, but we our original plan was to to live in Thailand. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And and uh, I thought I would have moved on by now, but I haven't. And I ended up adopting a cat here. So, <laughs> and then I, yeah, I I have two cats, so it it slows down the traveling process a bit. Yeah. But yeah, that uh, it's so cool to meet someone who has also you know done the whole like I want to go see the world thing. Like, did uh, um, what made you decide to, you know. Like I know you mentioned like charity work, but what made you decide mm-hmm. to do it overseas? I think I've always been up for adventure. I just I had traveled a little bit in high school too, like going on school trips um, to Eastern Europe and um, spent three months in Kenya. And so I was always looking for a new place to go and experience. And I knew that if I didn't do it in my 20s that I probably wouldn't do it later on so it was kind of like before I get settled into a serious career I want to experience the world basically that's so awesome um what what was it like so you were teaching like high schoolers and university kids and then mm-hmm. in New Zealand you taught uh preschool kids so that's like a yeah. lot of different age groups uh what, yeah. what was that like I think um, it was culturally very different because in Cambodia, like, there's a real um, separation between teacher and student. You know, it's a, in that culture, it's really respectful. And so um, the the dynamic is very different. Like, the students were um, – they respect and revere their teachers a lot and they really want to learn. Whereas preschoolers, like they're just all over the place. And I think in a more Western culture, there's not the same um, level of respect for people that are like in an authority position um, for better or for worse. It's just different, you know? Um, and I think in Cambodia, I had, um, the expectations were really different because you didn't have the same level of like government regulation like we did, but it, we operated because we were a nonprofit. We had our own budget. We weren't like government funded and we were kind of like um, we weren't a government school, like a high school. We taught classes that were outside their normal curriculum. So we had more freedom there. Whereas here I taught in a like government funded preschool, even though it was private, like it gets government funding. So there are a lot more constraints around like what you can do. And um, yeah, there are way more regulations, I guess. Yeah. So I had less freedom. There were a lot of pressures coming in from all sides, you know, like, when you teach high schoolers, the parents aren't really involved and they're also like they were in that school because they want to learn. Whereas when you're teaching preschoolers, you have like pressures from parents that have really high expectations. You have um like the budget constraints, you have lots of staff dynamics, you have, you know, children with challenging behaviors. And so there's just a lot going on. So it's like night and day, basically. Hardly anything I am so surprised to hear that you faced that in a preschool because that is very similar to my experience teaching high school. Like 
um I guess it's different from from like the high school students that you taught in Cambodia because like you said they they want to be there and um it's uh their parents are less involved I mean yeah. I I did I, I volunteered in in Cambodia when I was very young like like 15 uh and and I think 18 uh I noticed that some days the high school students uh, wouldn't show up to school because they they needed to help out at home like with like rice harvesting um yeah. but we yeah definitely like no parents showing up to like you mm-hmm. know uh with with all that pressure but like at preschool that what, <laughs> what were some of the the their you know what were the things that that created that oh I hope that none of the the, the parents of your your students are listening. But you know what 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 were they stressed out about? You know, at at that age, because like wow. they're so young, and 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 I, I would just think, you know, it's time it's a time for them to play and explore. Yeah, um, it sometimes it was like um, conflict between children. Like if their three year old came home and said that something had happened with another child, which we would have to say. They do have a big imagination. Sometimes they're just telling you a story. Um, yeah, other times it was actually something that needed to be managed. Um, and then I think the other thing is the expectation that kids are going to start learning academics at an early age, which was not really, it doesn't really um, go with the philosophy of at least the New Zealand um, preschool system is a lot more play-based, a lot more like let them explore, Um let them have lots of free time to um, just engage in messy play and run around outside and like be kids basically. So that was a lot of just managing parent expectations around like, um, you know, they will learn letters, they will learn numbers, but first they need to learn, you know, gross motor skills, fine motor skills. They need to learn how to get along with other kids and ask for help and like kind of those more social skills and self-help skills. So it was sometimes just a matter of um, different expectations, what they were imagining their kids should be doing versus what we were actually doing. Wow. That's, that's so, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) what you said about like messy play and, and running around outside, that is an education too. But it's just yeah. very contrary to what I guess most parents um, have experienced themselves as, you know, students. Yeah. So it it looks, yeah. you know, foreign to them. But that's, mm. that's so interesting. I, I think parents have a lot more pressure today. Um, yeah. They just want what's like what's best for their kids. They're coming yeah. from the right place. And I think a lot of times it's just explaining to them that like they will learn those skills but some adults never learn how to get along with someone else or how to negotiate or how to you know engage as part of a team and work together like those types of things are also really important for little kids to practice yeah I was I just find it so fascinating because everything you you (laughs) described I I experienced the same thing but it was with high schoolers um uh parents in, in Singapore definitely very involved in in their kids' uh, education and even their their kids' relationships with with their classmates and things like that. Mm, That's that's really cool. So, like, do you want to share, like, how you fell into copywriting and, like, why you picked, you know, there there are lots of, like, uh, you know, different 
Okay, I shouldn't assume, but in terms of like online, freelance, remote work, right? There's a lot of different uh, possibilities. Yeah. So how did you end up with, you know, copywriting? Um, I just kind of randomly heard of it. There was a Facebook ad for a course um, and it was targeting teachers. So well-placed ad, um, but it was it had been on my mind for about two years um, that I wanted to do something different. And I kind of on a whim purchased this course and started going through it. And I, I think it's because I always really liked writing. And um, so it seemed like it could be a really good match for me. And I liked that I could kind of build it up on the side and see how I liked it. Um, it wasn't something where I, I had to go all or nothing. Like I could try it out. And that's kind of what I did. I just took on, some little projects at first and then built it up slowly. How did you find your first few projects? Um, like in Facebook groups that yeah. there were really, you know, like a hundred dollars to redo someone's LinkedIn page, a um, hundred dollars for a real estate bio, like just really tiny projects, but it was just enough to build momentum because then I could go for bigger projects and I actually had a couple samples to show yeah. people. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, I started on Upwork and I got mm. some really bad advice. <laughs> I had got like good advice and bad advice, like for how to approach Upwork. You know, some people were yeah. like, you know, just do your first thing for $5 so that you'll get yeah. a review. Um, but it was very enlightening. Uh, so what would you say to like, um, like let's say to someone who's also like a teacher who's also thinking of transitioning into copywriting, like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, would you recommend the same path that you took or is there anything that you, you think you might do differently um, knowing what you know now? I think that um, it's a good idea to before you go all in on something to try it out. Like the first course that I did was a pretty low investment. It was like $500 or something like that. So it was enough where I, w I was motivated to do it, but it wasn't so much that I was like, this has to work out or else. Like, I think you kind of have to do something a little bit before you realize like whether it's for you or not. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I would say, like, it's okay to try a couple of different things. As long as you're not in that state of trying different things for too long, like, as long as you have a goal of I'm trying things in order to make a decision. Um, and I think a lot of it just has to do with, like, because teaching is really draining, you have to be committed to taking those little steps, even if they're small steps, but you just have to keep showing up once you have decided to do a course or join a community or whatever it is. Like there's always going to be a reason to not do it because you're drained, you're tired at the end of the day, but you just have to keep on pushing and showing up um, with consistent steps towards your goal. Do you want to talk about how you balanced, you know, uh, those copywriting goals and the course with because you you're doing that concurrently with teaching right and yeah um yeah um what was yeah point? i have two too so. sorry <laughs> um, i have two kids too yeah, so i was exactly. also so how, yeah how trying did to you balance all of that um 
So I was really intentional about setting aside the same time every day to work on copywriting. So um, I kind of set out like from 7 p.m. to 8.30, I would do copywriting. And I think that was a manageable enough time. Sometimes I only did one hour a day, but it was enough where I set it aside and I planned on it and I didn't plan to do anything else during that time. Um, so that really helped me be consistent rather than just trying to fit in at random. Um, and then I also would, once I started getting clients, I would go to the library for about three or four hours, either on Saturday or Sunday and just knock out my client work. Um, so I think having that time that you intentionally set aside to do it, because if you just say, I'll just do it sometime, you'll probably never do it. You're so disciplined. <laughs> I, I was so chaotic when I first started coffee. So I think you just laid out like a super great and like manageable system. Um, yeah, that, that, uh, you know, if, if someone had, had told me that that's what I could have done at the beginning. Um, but I, then, yeah, I had to, because otherwise, like, there's always more that you can do too. So you also have to set boundaries around, like, I need to have a day off. So if I worked on Saturday, I need to take Sunday off. Or if I am going to work tomorrow on Sunday, then I need to take Saturday off. Like, I think it has to go both ways. You can't, yeah. you don't want to overdo it either, but you can't just come up with excuses all the time and never do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Um, that's a really great reminder for our listeners also, because, um, like for, for me, I, I was teaching like two subjects and like a lot of classes. So a lot of my days, like there are some days I remember, uh, especially as an art teacher, I had to go in very early to set up all the art materials. Um, and Personally, I I know there's no way I could have done what Charlotte did with two kids, you know. Uh, so it's, it's really different for everyone. I think Ben did like a mix of what you and I did. So like he he did the whole, you know, being a super disciplined person and like setting aside time to 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 practice. But he also like had a few months where he 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 just focused on copy. Um, he had saved up some money. You know, so he felt yeah. like safe enough to to um, move on to copywriting, which brings me to to my next question because it, I think it's something that people don't discuss enough of um, when it comes to going from a nine to five job to freelancing. You know, uh, mm-hmm. if you don't mind sharing, like what what steps did you take to feel like financially secure enough to to say, okay, I'm I'm ready to leave teaching and um, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start uh, doing copy full time. Yeah, I think um, so. It was let's see. I started around April, and then by about August, I was working. I had probably ten or twelve hours a week of client work to do. So I kind of got to the point where I felt like, and I don't mean this to come across the wrong way, but that being at my day job was actually like preventing me from growing it it was like I got to a point where I couldn't do both anymore and so I was either going to have to start turning down client work or leave my job and so I think like financially 
I was making the same in those 10 or 12 hours a week as I was making working 32 hours a week as a teacher. So that's that was the tipping point for me where I was like, well, I've actually already replaced my income. And I think the other thing that I did was I um, knew that I could always go back to subbing. Um, because especially here, preschool teachers are in really high demand. So I knew that if I ever needed to, then I could go back and do subbing a couple of days a week um, to fill in the gaps. So that kind of gave me a safety net mentally to know I'm not going to like um, be broke. I have a way to make money. And if I have a slow month, then I've got a backup plan, basically. Yeah, I think having that plan is so important. I, I I definitely had something similar like I was still tutoring on the side and that was like yeah. enough to you know cover expenses here in Tbilisi um there's something I was going to ask oh wait so so you like you managed to replace your, your teaching income like almost mm-hmm. was it like within a year um within about five or six months yeah wow <laughs> so like <laughs> On top of all of the, you know, the copy, like you're studying copy, you're doing client work on the weekends, like how were mm-hmm. you um, like getting clients, like were you also spending time on like marketing yourself and like outreach, like what was the, what, what did the process of like acquiring clients look like for you? Because that's like a hidden part of the whole copywriting business um. that, you know, you, you got to go out and find people that will pay you to write. It's not just like hiding in your writer's cave and writing all day. Yeah, I know. I worked really hard on building up my network. Um, and I also had one client that was giving me about 20 hours a week of work. Um, so that helped a lot. They actually found me um, through my website, which I still don't know exactly how they found me. But I'm on a couple of different um, platforms for people looking for freelancers, but not like Upwork. They're more like high quality ones. So I do get inbound leads from those and then spending time on LinkedIn, um, going to in-person networking and trying to take advantage of um, like people that my past clients know. Um, yeah, trying to get in front of people that are in their industry, which is how I kind of got into like, um, working in the wedding industry is I had one client who was really good. And then I got a couple more clients that were similar because they saw my work on his website and then they were like, Oh, I really like your style. Um, so trying to kind of figure out, okay, I've gotten a couple of clients this way. How do I lean into that more? Cause I think it's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. And you hear a lot of like, Oh, you know, send cold DMs or like go to in-person networking or there's no point doing in-person networking, get on LinkedIn. So I, for me, it was more like what's already working. Let's do more of that. Oh, that's so smart. Yeah. And uh, you were mentioning some, I'm sure that, you know, our listeners would be, you know, keen to know like what platforms uh, were you on that you mentioned the high quality ones. Yeah, so there's one, it's just um, only for New Zealand, though. It's called Unicorn Factory, and people can hire freelancers through there. <laughs> um, so it's not super helpful for people that are outside of um, New Zealand. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, that's 
the main one. And then through my copywriting course that I did, um, there's a good Facebook group where people a lot of times are looking to outsource projects or so I also got a couple good clients from there, people posting like, hey, this is not really my thing or I don't have time to take this on. So being really active in those type of communities. Um and then there's also a local small business owners Facebook group that I'm a part of. And so being really active in there and kind of getting my name out there when people ask like, hey, can someone look over my website? I'm, you know, not getting any leads from it. And then trying to get in there and be like, here are some things that you can do, by the way, if you need any help with copywriting, like just kind of positioning myself yeah. um, in those type of groups. Like offering value and, and mm-hmm. building up like kind of like name recognition. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's that's awesome. Um, and you were doing all of this like networking on top of like were you also doing that while you were teaching? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which how how much time would you estimate? Um, if you don't have an answer, it's fine. But like, yeah. So I was. I guess it's helpful to tell you that I was working like. I wouldn't say I wouldn't call it part time teaching, but I was working like nine a nine to three thirty or nine okay. to four thirty day. So I wasn't it was not quite as intense as some people that are like at school from seven to five or something. So that that's different, I'll admit. Like I was I was working like thirty four hours a week oh, in teaching. Okay. So I did have a little bit of extra time. So sometimes, you know, I would come home and Things like getting on Facebook, I'm like, I'm already on there, so I might as well just spend an extra five minutes, like, trolling the page and seeing if there's <laughs> anything that I can answer, you know, like, trying to kind of take advantage of, I'm already, like, just taking a break from doing, like, I'm not really doing anything, so I might as well just get on LinkedIn and post something or comment, like, trying to just grab, like, five or ten minute little chunks of time to do stuff. Rather than like, I'm going to sit down and be on LinkedIn for an hour. Like, yeah, I think just trying to grab like little moments here and there to do stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's that's some really practical advice for, you know, uh, generating leads and and keeping your pipeline full. Um, mm. So, like, this is the my favorite thing to ask. Like, you've talked about living in different countries you've talked about being a teacher to high schoolers to university students and then training other teachers and priests and then teaching preschoolers and then also working with parents mm-hmm. you know um how do you think these past experiences have like shaped you as a copywriter if if you think they have hmm. i think they have because um, when I started thinking about like what type of businesses that I want to write for, like I'm a really values driven person, like the fact that I wanted to spend my twenties, like doing charity work overseas, like it kind of shows that I really value like giving back and, um, like I want to make an impact with my life and with my work. And so just because I've left teaching, it doesn't mean that like that goes away. It's, this is just a different avenue now. So. And when I was thinking, like, how do I leverage my past experiences to position myself as an expert in copywriting? Um, I 
that's how I've kind of landed on working with um, parenting businesses and like parenting coaches and authors and speakers and things, because that's something that I already know a lot about. I'm passionate about it. Um, you know, I studied family development in school, so I've worked with lots of families. So it's something that I'm already passionate about, but it's just working in that industry in a different way. Um, yeah. And even like with the wedding industry, which I'm, I've worked in a lot. I kind of fell into it by accident, but there are a lot of parallels. It's to me, it's about like, you know, people have aspirations for their life, whether that's, you know, building a family or getting married and having like their loved ones all around them and celebrating new beginnings. Like to me, it's, um, it's about building that life that you've always dreamed of. Mm -hmm. And I think that I can, like my clients who are working in those industries, I can relate to the care that they put into their work, working with their clients, because you wouldn't really work in that industry unless you cared about people. And, you know, like it attracts people that are people, people who are passionate about families and, um, yeah, creating a good experience for people. So that's, yeah, kind of how it all works together. I guess that's a great segue into, you know, like you you called it a dream builders niche. Did mm-hmm. I get the name right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk more about how you? Because I think that's a really great way to position yourself instead of like thinking uh, solely in terms of like one specific industry. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to share like your thought process behind that? and how how you came to to settle on that name Mm. yeah so I think it's been a process of like a couple of months figuring out how to narrow down who I want to work with and I think it did come from a place of like what are my values what do I like what will I feel happy about spending my time doing and um what's meaningful for me and I had gotten some traction in the wedding industry and then um, I've worked for quite a few real estate agents, which I also really like. Um, And then like the parenting aspect is another part of it, which yeah, has to do more with my background. So I was thinking, how do these things connect? And that's kind of how I came up with the dream builders because um, yeah, it's about building family and, you know, real estate agents help people get into their dream home. That's something that a lot of people aspire to is owning a home. And it's about, um, yeah, like a wedding is not just about like having a nice event, but it, to me, it's about like blending of cultures, like different traditions coming together. Like you're forming a new family by two families becoming one. And um, if you buy a house, it's not just, a building it's like a place where you have shared memories and you host loved ones and like you um yeah it's it's more than just the place you know and then like in the parenting industry if you are reaching out to a parenting coach or like speakers they're helping people who are they want that loving family that they've always dreamed of, but maybe they need a little bit of support in creating that. So that's kind of like the common thread is um, dream builders. Yeah. Creating the life that you've always dreamed of. Yeah. That's so cool that you you managed to find that commonality. And I can hear from just 
the way you're talking about these different industries that you know you're very like deeply in touch with um like what matters most to the target mm-hmm. audience you know yeah uh, because i've always wondered like in in like you've defined this niche for yourself but there's still like sub segments you know slightly mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. audiences um how do you approach like crafting a message across yeah i mean not across but like uh working with a wedding planning client and then moving mm-hmm. on to work with like a parenting coach you know do you ever have any like challenges like okay now i have to switch to you know switch my brain to like this different industry and the language that's mm-hmm. unique to their audience um i think like the main strategy that i use is having for every client i have a document full of all the research that i've come up with for them and like i i when i start working with a client i ask them all kinds of questions about their their ideal client and what their pain points are and how they're helping solve them and then another thing that i really like to do is um find testimonials of their clients working with them because then you can see the language that their clients use you can see what they care about what they're looking for and like how the person that i'm writing for creates that experience for them mm-hmm. so i think it, to me it just comes down to being really organized and i do have to kind of shift gears in my brain <laughs> depending on who i'm writing for that day but i think that i do because there's that common thread it is still kind of coming from the same place of people having the aspiration what is it that they truly want you know they want to buy their dream home but it's not actually about the home it's about the experience yeah. the memories that they're going to make so same with you want a beautiful wedding but it's not because you just want to have like nice flowers it's because you want to make meaningful memories with people that you love the most so it's like to me it does all come down to a similar motivation yeah. um so i think that that helps a lot <laughs> yeah and i i'm a huge fan of this whole thing because i think it's so <laughs> unique and it's such a cool way of thinking mm-hmm. about uh niches and and you know people always wonder should i niche down or like some people are like no there's no point in doing that um yeah this might be a stretch but have you i i mean i was just thinking about how as a teacher you know we were dream builders too like mm-hmm. building our students mm-hmm. dreams um, yeah like do you, do you see any commonalities in you know what it takes to connect with your students and what you do now as a copywriter um Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with like especially when I was working in preschool because that's more recent to me. It's a lot of working like um with families and a lot of it comes down to listening. Like people really want you to listen to them. They want to feel understood and I think that's something that I can offer to my clients is um I try to spend a lot of time listening to their story, their why behind their business, what makes them passionate about it because 
I think that establishes trust between me and them. And I want them to feel like I'm on their team and that I want to support them as a person and in their own dreams to build their business. So I think that's the big part of it is like that empathy and um, being able to listen and understand other people. Um, what else? I know there are a lot of things, <laughs> a lot of different way parallels, I guess, between teaching and yeah. copywriting. Um, I think another one is that as a teacher, you have to be really reflective. Like you have to always think about what's working, what's not working. And as a copywriter, the same thing applies. Like you try something and then it, it works or it doesn't work. It resonates or it doesn't. And you have to be able to be flexible. Yeah. Um, yeah. And a lot of that comes down to reflecting, um, to thinking over what you've done and being willing to shift what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think you mentioned in the forum about uh, something about uh, what it takes to like persuade especially like, mm, preschool. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk more about that? Like, um, did you ever, like, do you have any stories on, like, um, you know, convincing them to, I, I have no idea what the preschool system is like in New Zealand, mm. but I know that, you know, uh, I taught art and literature and I felt like I had to sell my subject <laughs> every day. Um, because yeah. like, when you're a teenager, it's hard to see the value of those things. Actually, hard to see yeah. the value of a lot of things they have to do in school. So, you know, yeah. I was wondering if you had like a similar experience of needing to persuade your, your students, um, for in, in some shape or form. Hmm. I think, um, yeah, just as you're talking, I'm thinking about how usually how we would approach like from a child development perspective, if you want to like convince a preschooler or a kid to do something, you have to start with understanding them first. Before, so you have to like get on their level and yeah. let them know. I know, I know you're not happy about doing this. I get it. You're frustrated or whatever. And just kind of like calling out where they are in the moment. And I think that there is a big parallel between that and copywriting because you have to be able to see where people are, like basically read their mind, you know, what's going through their mind, how are they feeling right now? And then let's work from there rather than this is where I want you to be. And so I'm just going to tell you to be like that now. Like you yeah. can't, yeah. people have to go on that journey mm-hmm. and same with kids. They have to feel before they're going to listen to you. They have to know that you understand them and you care about where they are right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the part that you said, you know, um, when you start with connecting with their feelings, you're frustrated right now. Um, that's yeah. like the beginning of a lot of uh, sales letters. I mean, yeah, yeah. Connecting with someone's yeah. pain points, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, the uh, this is that great question that I got from someone about, you know, so now that you've left, like, uh, do you, do you ever feel guilty about leaving? Um, I mean, I won't say that I never do. Um, but I think for me, it came down to like my first responsibility is to myself and my own family. And especially as someone who has kids, like I can't, I have to put them over anyone else, you know, like they're my top priority and my own family has to be number one. And it doesn't mean that I'm not making an impact, but it just looks different. And 
I think I, I also had to remind myself, like, for the kids, having a teacher that doesn't want to be there is not doing them any favors either, you know? Like, they need to have a teacher that's passionate and that wants to be a teacher. So once I lost that passion and that drive, I I felt like I need to move on because otherwise it's not really fair to them anymore. Yeah, I think that last point was that's so important because students can feel it if you don't want to be there, right? And and like you said, it's not doing them any favors. Yeah. So uh, I I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, I just have like, you know, two more questions, which is, you know, what advice, you know, would you give someone who's like afraid to make the leap? Mm. Um, you know, and they, they just want to move on, but they're, like, like what's the number one thing you would tell someone who's feeling afraid? Um, I think that you have to get past the discomfort because, like, doing something new, especially as teachers, like, we like to be the one that knows something. And when you're starting a new career, like, you are starting from zero most of the time. So like being uncomfortable is just kind of part of the process. But if you can lean in, you know, get the resources that you need, get in a community that's going to support you, like anyone can do it. You just need to surround yourself with the support that you're going to need and just take things one step at a time. You know, you're not going to be an expert overnight and that's, that's fine. It, it takes time. Yeah. I think the community part, I I just I talk about it in every single episode because uh, that's I mean you you transition to coffee full time pretty quickly too and I don't know about you but for me community is what accelerated the process for me not I mean like hard work is super important too obviously you have to like master the skill but just having the connections not just for like leads but because, you know, there are people out there who already have been through what you're going mm. through, right? So um, do you want to share, like, like what, what you're working on right now? What's next for you? You know, how, how people can reach you? Like, um, Yeah, so I guess what I have been working on in the last month is putting, like, now that I've kind of got my ideal clients, um putting together a couple packages that I I'm trying to streamline what I offer because the first year it was kind of like I did everything and it's reinventing the wheel with every project. And it's not to say that I'm not open to doing different types of projects, but I'm trying to narrow, narrow down a little bit and focus mostly on web copy. So I've um, yeah, just recently like packaged up my um, web copy into a couple different options for clients. So I'm excited about that because it feels like a big step for me. Um, yeah, like I feel like I'm being a lot more intentional about where I'm headed now, which is cool. Um, yeah. So that's kind of what, yeah, that's what's happening for me. <laughs> that's where I'm heading this year. So if, you know, anyone's listening and, and wants to work with you, like what's the best way to connect with you? Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Charlotte Ellis, um, or my website is copybycharlotteellis.com. 
Well, thank you so much. Do you have、uh, anything that anything else you wanna you wanna share、um, to all the with all the teachers out there? Um, I don't think so. I think that's <laughs> I think I've said all my advice that I have pretty much. Um, yeah. If you if you're looking for something else, then like copywriting is a really good option. Um, yeah, it's something that you can build up slowly and then. Transition into full time eventually,、um, but there are a lot of other things out there too.、Um, so take your time to find the right fit. Well, thank you,、uh, and to anyone、Hi. who's listening,、uh, anyone who's listening, you know,、uh, I'll leave the links、uh, to Charlotte's LinkedIn and her website below. And you know, if you want to reach out to her, and 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 thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'm gonna stop recording now, and I'll see you guys next week on another episode of Classroom to Copy.